it's not that you are attracted to people who are similar to you as much as you are repulsed by people who are dissimilar. We tend to form bonds with people who hate the same thing as we hate. Hey everybody, I'm Michael. Hey guys, I'm Johnny. Welcome back to Where's God Pod. Johnny, it's been a while, but we're back. It has been a hot minute, and I have missed you guys. And Michael, I've missed you a little bit. Uh, you know, I've missed our listeners more than I have you, Johnny, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I appreciate the honesty. So guys, we have something really exciting. You know, we've been gone for a while, and I don't know if you've missed us, but I hope you have at least a little bit, and I have some good news. We have something really, really exciting, don't we, Michael? Yes, we do. We have a special guest on our podcast today. Her name is Dr. Heather Thompson Day. Yeah, Dr. Day is an amazing, amazing communicator. And we talk about the insanity of this year, racial division, the validity of the church, and how hope truly is real even in 2020. So just a few small topics amidst the greater question of where's God? Yeah, and we had the chance to talk to her for, I think it was close to an hour and a half, Johnny, right? And yeah. you've probably already looked at the timestamp for this episode and recognized that it's probably in the 17, 18 minute range. We are going to be kind of divvying up the conversation and releasing it over the next couple of weeks. Yes. So that way you get to just sit there in anticipation after you listen to the first episode and think, wow, I can't wait to see what happens next. All right. So uh, here's our conversation. So uh, Heather, what, who, who are you and what, what do you do? So I am a communication professor. I teach right now at uh, Colorado Christian University, which is a non-denominational school in Denver. And I love it. I say communication people are relationship builders. So communication people are trained to build relationship between the target market that the organization is trying to reach and the organization that that communication person represents. So when I was in, like, I think my sophomore year of college, I just fell madly in love with the idea that we can understand how to connect and attract people to other people. And especially as a Christian, as a believer, that just made so much sense to me. I was like, why are more Christians not studying communication and taking it seriously? And so now to be able to mentor this next generation of Christians is just the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Mm, that's amazing. So, so would you say your passion is derived from your work or would you say you pull your passion into your work or how, do, how does that relate to you? I don't even know how to answer that question because I think they're both <laughs> so one and the same for me. The more I study, the more passionate I become. But I think I've always naturally been really passionate about people and how do we build connection with people. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. They're so uh, into, integrated together that it's yeah. hard to, to separate those two things apart. Um, I think something popped in my mind. I'm always curious. You know, you have a, a super big um, social media presence, especially on Twitter, uh, which will give you uh, a shout out. Anybody listening, go ahead and follow um, Heather Thompson Day on Twitter. Um, but mm -hmm. how do you decide what to lend your voice to or the stories that you share um, and how you communicate publicly? So my mentor is Jose Rojas, who um, I, I just, not only did he speak into my own life when I was a college student and I went to one of the week of prayers that he did at Andrews University, but he's really radically transformed how I view ministry today. Um, and I've been working with him for about a year and a half. And I feel like I've learned so much in that year and a half. And, and one of the things that he said to me in 
maybe our first phone call is to lean into the spaces that only I can lean into. And so what that looked like for me was if I get a call to go speak at just some regular traditional church, I probably won't take it. And I'll pass that on to somebody else because there, for me, I know that there are specific places that God has called me and specific experiences that he's given me. And that's with young adults and that's with women. Those are two, those are my biggest passions is how do we reconnect young adults to the church or just inspire and empower young adults to just be the church, regardless of, of whether or not they're a part of their local church and how do we encourage and inspire and empower women. And so I typically will only take engagements or lend my voice to things that really fit within that realm. Now, because I am biracial and I understand um, race, I think in a unique way, especially just as a black woman, because my mom is white and my grandparents are white and I grew up in this very biracial, interracial environment, I think I, I have started speaking more in that space but more just because of the identity of who I am. It's not that I'm one of the leading researchers in that space, you know, like a Michael Nixon, who's a good friend of mine. I think he is a really well-educated person in that space, but I have personal experience that I'm happy to speak into and lend my voice to just because I'm black, right? So I care because it's part of who I am, but I don't think I'm academically trained in that area. Mm. That totally, totally makes sense. Um, I love what you said, lean into the spaces that, you can lean into. And I know this, you know, we invited you because we want to hear what you have to say, but I just have to say from a personal perspective, uh, that's been something that I've been struggling with these past few years of fighting in my own armor rather than the armor that people say has worked in the past. And I look and I can see the victories that have resulted because of that armor. And then I feel guilty when I'm not successful in that same sphere. So, so thank you for saying that, for allowing the freedom of not doing things rather than saying you have to do things this way using these means and get these results. I think that's very freeing, especially to, to young adults right now. Yeah, Something that Jose said to me right away was don't, he said, I would be very weary Heather of taking off any coats that God has put on you. And that really spoke just about essentially my Adventist faith, right? Growing up Adventist. And I really think that's what he was talking about, but in more cloaked language was don't, Heather, don't take off the coats that God has given you, even if I'm, because now I'm in a very non-denominational space and a lot of my ministry is very non-denominational, but I was raised Seventh-day Adventist and I believe in the Seventh-day Adventist message. And so what does that look like to remain with that Adventist coat in a very non-denominational space in ministry? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think the same thing for if, for young adult ministry, that's, I'm a professor. That's who I spend my days with is, is young people. And so why would I ever try to, not that, of course, older people are very important, but maybe that's not my call to lean into and to speak into. And honestly, I, I don't think that I connect in the best way for them as somebody else might. So it's like, yeah, do what only you can do. And that's how you become an authority in that space is because you're, Hey, this is my experience. And I'm one of the only people I think that can do that. I think that's how we should all approach our lanes. Mm -hmm. What are some of the biggest challenges that you felt that you faced? Um, I love the analogy um, that Jose uses and that you mentioned of like, don't take off the coats that God's putting on you. What are some of the biggest challenges that you faced as you, you wear the, the coats of being biracial, of being a Seventh-day Adventist within a 
non-denominational space. And from your Twitter, I know you posted a couple of days ago about um, seeing another black person. They were super super excited about that because you're on a predominantly white campus. Mm -hmm. Um, So what are some of the biggest challenges that you face there? I think, uh, well, I could, let me separate them. But as for the biracial mm-hmm. part, I think one of the challenges, I think one of the biggest things that makes it difficult is just always being tokenized, right? Like I never want to be the person who speaks for all of the black community. I am one person. And I really do believe that my experience is very unique. For example, one of my really good friends who is honestly one of the most spiritual people I know said to me when all this George Floyd stuff started, she was like, Heather, I just, I genuinely feel like all white people are racist. And I was like, huh? Like I was so taken aback by that because I know that's not true, right? I have a white mother. I have a white husband. Like I am 1000% positive that that is not true, but she has different experiences than me. You know, when she got picked up from school and was crying, it wasn't a white mom's arms who were holding her like for me. So I'm trying to, I have had to step back and be, and realize that everybody's experiences are very, very different. And how do I be sensitive to the trauma that a lot of black people have experienced that maybe I haven't experienced as far as like, at least I know good white loving people, but for a lot of them, maybe they don't like, maybe they don't have any white spaces that they feel fully comfortable to bring themselves as themselves. And I think that's a huge disservice. And I also think that the Adventist church has never been more relevant because Mm -hmm. of our racial breakup there. I mean, if you look at the other denominations, there is no denomination in the United States, like the Adventist church. We are the most racially diverse denomination. This church started with a bunch of social justice warriors and and, and abolitionists who were literally Ellen White's son was like one of the people taking slaves and, and taking them on ships and trying to get them out to freedom. Like our church was so relevant when it started with a group of young people And I am excited because I feel like our voice could be really relevant in especially the Christian space because Christians have really botched the racial conversation as a whole. I'm a writer for the Barna Group and we know that it's like, so it's somewhere about 90% of black Christians say we have a racial problem in this country. And then it's like only 40% of white Christians that say we have a racial problem in this country, right? Both people are Christians. Both people love God. Both people are serving the Lord, but one has a very different experience. And I just feel like because of the racial breakup of Adventism, we are uniquely poised to lead the church in this conversation. And I hope that, and I'm happy that you guys are doing podcasts like this. Like, I think that it's important and it's what we should be seeing more of. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for sharing uh, your perspective there. I, I'm wondering as you're, as you were talking, um, since you're talking about being biracial, do you feel pressure to bridge the gap between these two races that seem to be butting heads a lot this year. And to add on to that question, how has it been for you this year? You know, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but maybe if you could go more in that context of um, bridge building rather than wall building. You know what? I, I was just talking about this with somebody the other day. I don't feel pressure to build the, to bridge the gap um, because I'm just, I'm just going to be myself, right? Like I don't typically... I don't know. I don't feel pressure that like God has called me into this space to bridge this gap. I'm just going to continue being myself and being honest and authentic about that journey. And if that bridge is great, and if not, 
I, I feel like that's on God. That's not on me. So I don't feel pressured to do that. Um, what I will say is that I think a lot of this is not just race related. I think it's super political. And I think that it's far less about, I think. You can say it. <laughs> I can't. Um, so I just think it's a really politically motivated conversation. And I think that it's not necessarily that different races are always biting heads. Although we know that one political party, party is majority Caucasian. Like, I understand that. Um, but I think it's really the politics that's driving it more than the race. Although I absolutely believe in systemic racism. Does that make sense? I think that was a very careful answer. Yes. Um, I, I think we can both uh, understand the subtext that you're trying to say. So sorry if I asked you into a corner there. <laughs> no, but like, okay, do you think people, we know that Generation Z, so this next generation, young adult college students, they are the most likely of any generation to say that they will marry somebody outside of the race, right? So I think we're seeing a reduction of racial apprehension. However, ask them, would you marry somebody outside of your politics? Probably not. So I think what we really see is a very deep political divide where one party is using racism and white supremacy to round up their base. And I think that that's very, very unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Even case in point, I was doing uh, premarital counseling with a couple just a, I was a couple months ago now and I was asking them about their story. And one of the things that came to the forefront of why they were attracted to each other is that they had the same political views and leanings. And that's something that they, that they valued hugely. And you know, what's funny is so in communication, we have this thing called uh, the right, the repulsion hypothesis. And essentially what it says is it's not that you are attracted to people who are similar to you as much as you are repulsed by people who are dissimilar. And so because we are so repulsed by people who are dissimilar, we end up only being left with people who are similar. So the argument is that hate is a stronger emotion often than love. And wow. so I think we tend to form bonds with people who hate the same thing as we hate. Even though we may have all these other differences in between there, at least we both vote the same. And I think we, a lot of people are, are kind of going through life that way right now because it's just, the country is so politicized. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably why we see the divide creeping into the church because it's easier for me to, to join with a group of people who's militant against something else than to try to be the inclusive, the one that's trying to look for similarities because it's easier for me to spot differences right. and join in with other people in that. Mm. Right. I agree. Yeah, it's it's convenient to have a common enemy, isn't it? And it's I feel bonding. like yes, yes. <laughs> like I think of summer camp. You know, you, you're in the trenches, you're in the dirt. Everything sucks, everything's sweaty. But man, you bond with those people like for life. And so I'm thinking within specifically the church context, it seems like we use all of our energy. The progressive Adventists fight the conservative Adventists yes. and vice versa. And we talk about, oh, we need to do this. We need to do that. Oh, stop focusing on that. Stop focusing on this. And I feel like without, without a, I don't really like to over-spiritualize language, but I feel like the devil wins whenever we're fighting each other rather than fighting the thing that is dividing us. And it seems to me like, like what you said resonated with me because I've been watching a lot of Mr. Rogers and I see how powerful love is and unification is possible, but hate seems to be the stronger motivator. So I'm wondering, 
how we can imbue empathy into these conversations rather than being like, I hate you because this and systematically list all of these things that we dislike. Um, I don't know. There's a question in there somewhere, but. <laughs> no, I think we imbue empathy by relationship. And the truth is that every person I know that is empathetic or sympathetic to a political leaning that they are not is because their parents are that leaning, right? So they know my uncle or my mom or my grandma is a good person. I don't know why she believes this, but I also know who she is. I know that she would pick up the phone call for me at 2 a.m. I know her heart. And so relationship helps us bridge those gaps where you're like, that's a horrible belief, but I still love you. And so how do we get to a place, and personally, for me academically, it's been through storytelling. I, storytelling creates connections. Stories, you release the same hormone that you do when a woman has a baby, oxytocin. Um, and it tells you, you love this person, connect to this person, this person matters to you. Our bodies release oxytocin when we listen to each other tell stories, which by the way, I think is super fascinating because Jesus Christ, before thousands of years before all of our fancy research, told stories, right? He knew that we are affected physiologically when we hear each other tell stories. And so I think listening is the key to how do we move forward? And you don't have to, I'm not somebody that thinks that unity is uniformity, right? I just think it's being able to respect people's differences of opinion without taking it as an attack on me. Now, of course, when we are talking about racism, that's different, right? Because it is very difficult for me to be like, oh, you're just racist, it's fine, because <laughs> I'm black. That makes me very uncomfortable. You know, if my my father is an African-American, if he gets pulled over and feels like this is an unjust stop and says, hey, I have rights, and something happens to him, you're going to tell me he should have just complied and he, you're not going to care about my dad being assaulted or murdered, or that's a very difficult realization for a lot of black people because we feel like our lives are actually at risk. So it's very, very, very hard to not come into those conversations super emotional when you see people being gunned down on the streets and everybody making excuses for it. You see somebody being shot in the back, running away, and they say, well, they should have listened. We don't, this is America, we don't shoot people in the back. That is not a threat to your life. But I keep hearing Christians say, well, he should have listened. He should have complied. That's a very uncomfortable feeling for people of color in this country. You don't feel free then. Talking about race, talking about experiences that you may not have had in your own life can be incredibly difficult. But as we've talked today with Dr. Heather Thompson Day, it's important to see how, how you almost must validate other people's experiences even if you haven't had them. And this is just a small view into a kind of conversation that you can have in your own sphere. Yeah, and I think that's so transformative because even she mentioned how hearing another person's story endears us to that person. Uh, and I think that we must, we must have these conversations and be honest and open with each other. And that would allow us to be uh, a little bit more candid, a little bit more honest, and I think a little bit more loving. So we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Day here uh, next week, actually, on the podcast. Uh, we just want to play you a quick sneak peek of what's to come. How are we serving in a practical way that actually changes the lives of the people in the communities that we exist within? The attitude that I think we need is a generation that says, I'm just going to do this even if it doesn't make me wealthy, even if I'm not making money, I'm going to do this because I believe in it. 
Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And hey, we want to be able to connect with you. Johnny, how can they do that? So there are all kinds of ways you can do that. You can follow us on Twitter, Where's God Pod. Um, but most importantly, I want to actually push you towards, oh, also Instagram, Where's God Pod. And our Gmail, Where's God Podcast at gmail.com. I know it's not Where's God Pod, Where's God Podcast at Gmail. But the one thing I really want to push you towards actually is anchor.fm slash where's dash God. And the reason I want to push you there is because you can send voice memos. So if perhaps you have had an experience similar to Dr. Day, or you can relate to not being able to relate to a situation like that, we want to hear your story. And I think uh, in the coming episodes, it would be awesome if we could play your story so everyone else could hear it as well. Yeah, and at the release of this episode, the the other episodes haven't been finalized yet. So maybe um, your voice will be featured on our podcast. And if those were too quick for you, Johnny, read them all out. You can go back and uh, release into where to find us. But most importantly, all of those links will be in the show notes. Uh, so check out the description of the episodes wherever you listen to this podcast and you can find where to connect with us. Sounds good. Tune in next time. We'll see you guys then. Is that good? I think I think that's solid. Do you want to do the whole thing over or do you want to just do like a piece of it?